Welcome to In The Growth Space. This is the show for business owners and leaders who have a thirst for growth. I really appreciate you listening in today. Now, if this is your first time listening, I always say this, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And, and I just want to let you know that this podcast is about growth from a business perspective, from a team perspective, and, and even from a personal growth perspective. And I really hope that you'll subscribe and, and listen regularly. I like to have these conversations with leaders from a variety of different industries and in different backgrounds, and they all have one thing in common. They all have a great growth story, and I like to learn from them, and that helps my own growth journey. Now, before we get started in today's episode, I wanted just to let you know about the Inner Circle Summit. The Inner Circle Summit is a one-day event where leaders from a variety of industries and backgrounds get together to mastermind and, and learn from some of the top leaders in the world. Our keynote speaker this year is Paul Martinelli. And for those of you who have listened here for a little while, you will recognize this name because he's been on the podcast and he's also been a mentor of mine for a number of years. He's a native of Pittsburgh and he currently lives in Jupiter, Florida. He's the co-founder of the John Maxwell team, and he's shared the stage with greats like John Maxwell himself, Seth Godin, Zig Ziglar, Nick Vujicic, Les Brown, Jack Canfield, and Mark Victor Hansen from the Chicken Soup for the Soul fame. Now, if you want to know anything about building and scaling a business, you've got to be in the room on December the 10th at the Inner Circle Summit. We've also been able to secure some of his time for a very exclusive VIP evening on Thursday, December the 9th, where you'll be able to be in a very intimate environment and have an opportunity to interact with Paul and, and ask him your business growth questions. Now, we're limiting this to a, a very small group, so be sure you jump on and register quickly before we sell out. The registration page for the event is at davidmcglennon.com forward slash Inner Circle Summit, and that's all lowercase, davidmcglennon.com forward slash Inner Circle Summit. Now, today, on today's podcast, we have Gianna Biscontini, and Gianna is a board-certified behavior analyst, and she helps clients challenge conventional wisdom to examine and rewrite beliefs, take courageous action, and live and work with more fulfillment, energy, and purpose. Gianna has over two decades of working in the field of human behavior, and she's learned that purpose, perspective, curiosity, and learning to find steady ground in uncomfortable times are critical, but they're often overlooked tools that we have to navigate our lives in a de desired direction. Whether treating children with special needs, coaching Navy SEALs, top executives, or supporting organizations in creating cultures of well-being through her parent company, WorkWell, her life's greatest honor has been following her interests and intuition that's led her to wear many hats. Gianna is the founder of WorkWell, which is a female-owned science-based well-being analytics company. She's a photographer, a model, researcher, government employee, ballerina, clinician, and cheese factory worker. The common thread that keeps her growing is the continuous journey of learning to live in an interesting and authentic life. I really think you're gonna quickly see why I asked her to be on the podcast after hearing her on my friend's podcast. 
And it's a quick shout out to uh, the Leadership Locker podcast and Rich Cardona. I really appreciate him introducing me to Gianna. And anyone who knows me knows that I really enjoy uh, human behavior, behavior analytics, and, and really enjoy learning in this area. And I think it's key to not only our own personal growth, but as leaders, it's going to be important for us to know how we can help our people and our team to succeed through uh, behavior, through behavior analytics, and, and so forth. And so let's get into this conversation right now because it's a good one. Well, hey, Gianna, so great to have you here on the podcast. Welcome to In the Growth Space. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful, grateful that you took time out. And I love seeing your pup there and having him or her, I, I forgot to ask her. Yeah, it's really great. Well, you are a human behavioral analyst. Tell us what that is and what does that entail? So being a behavior analyst, um, there's a board certification. So your kind of letters and credentials are BCBA, board certified behavior analyst. And, you know, it started off as really what popularized behavior analysis is autism. It's the gold standard treatment for our children and adults with autism. However, it's the science of human behavior and can, I mean, they use it to train dogs, they use, you know, use it with your spouse. So it's really just the science of, of why we do and what we, why we do uh, what we do and, and how to change and modify that behavior based upon what we know about how we operate as humans takes into consideration the motivation really for behaving. There are only four categories of reasons why we do anything. And so when we're evaluating behavior, it's very systematic, very observable. And we really don't go into circular reasoning or, well, they're not performing well because they're stressed out and they're stressed out because they're not performing well. You know, it's just, Mm. we figure it out. Um, There's a lot of direct observation involved, a lot of data collection, It's a little bit more work on the forefront, but in the end, it's the most effective way we have of changing behavior. Yeah. And you said there were four reasons why we behave, right? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So anything we do is going to fall into four categories. And the the why, I guess we call it the the four functions of behavior. Okay. Um, Don't do anything just to do something, right? Even if it's not consciously, you know, if I have an itch, I scratch my nose, you know, if I walk outside and have my sunglasses, I squint my eyes. If I say, Hey, I need the salt. I say, Hey, pass the salt. And so everything we do is really serving us in some way. And so those four categories are um, access to a tangible item. You know, we work for money. Um, we say, hey, pass the salt. We, you know, open a door to get a bowl to eat. We might do something to earn a gift from a spouse or something like that. Um, so access to tangible items. The next one is escape or avoidance. Adults are really good at this. You're going to temporarily or permanently escape or avoid something, right? I hate doing the dishes. And so at that point, I'm going to do anything else but the dishes. <laughs> right. um, and so that it functions for escape and avoidance. Also, there's a third one. And these first three are socially mediated. It depends on someone else. Mm. And the third one is attention. And I think it's almost like a pejorative term these days of, well, you just want attention. It's like, well, that's okay. You know, we all want attention. Right, right. Just how we get attention and what we're rewarding is with attention is really what can be healthy or unhealthy or functional mm. or not functional. And so if I want attention, I can, if I'm a little kid, I want to get good grades and make that mom and dad proud and they reward me, or I can get attention by, you know, breaking some windows in the neighbor's house, right? And right. I get attention that way. Right. And what I hear a lot from people is, you know, well, they're being reprimanded and punished and they shouldn't want that type of attention. So it can't be that they want attention. I said, you know, it being seen is better than being seen for something negative is better than not being seen at all. And yeah. so those three are really important access to attention, access to escape or avoidance and access to tangible items. 
And then the fourth one is really not socially mediated. mediated. We call it automatic reinforcement because it's mm. automatic. The, the corporate world likes to call it like intrinsic reinforcement. Okay. We don't really use that term because it almost presupposes that you have it or you don't. Where automatic reinforcement is more, you know, the walking outside and squinting or I run just for the feeling of running, right? We mm-hmm. do something because it makes us emotionally or physically feel good. However, I could run to gain attention. I could run to escape or avoid. I can run to gain access to a tangible item and I can run just because it feels good. And so our brains work really quickly and we like to just say, well, he's doing that because he just wants attention or he's doing that because he's lazy, right? And so the process of behavior analysis is really analyzing what's going on in the environment and Mm. slowing our brains down and actually taking data that we can graph instead of allowing our very fallible brains to make really quick and accurate decisions according to why someone is doing what they're doing. Wow, that is so fascinating. And I can imagine that this has to be really useful in a corporate environment. So I, I work with a lot of leaders and I know that you know, oftentimes when we're talking about performance, it's obviously you know behavior. So the behavior leads to the performance, but getting underneath the behavior has to be able to impact uh, performance. So I guess my question would be then like, how do we use this information or how do we access it for you know the corporate world and for for leaders who might be listening? Right. And so there are two ways we look at this, right? We say we do results-based performance or behavior-based performance. Hmm. Behavior-based performance is I need you to do these 10 behaviors. And we, if you do these 10 behaviors, then it is likely that it will lead to this result, right? But we can really really we can only really control the behavior. If we say results, you know, results-based performance, I can say, Hey, just go get it done. I don't care how you get it done. Yeah. Right. Just have this result, meet this metric. What's I think frustrating for a lot of employees is that there are always outside factors and variables mm. that people can't control. You know, I have friends mm. in the sales world and every October, you know, the, their industry kind of dips October mm. and November. And I was working with their leadership and just knowing from my friends and some employees that, this happens every year, no matter what anybody does, right? No matter what the behaviors are, I'm doing the same behaviors that got me great marks and 90%, you know, metrics or whatever the last six months, but I'm still doing that thing. Nothing has changed. The market has changed. The conditions have changed. Things beyond my control have changed. And Mm -hmm. so we really want to evaluate, you know, whether we need to, and results-based, you know, measurements for performance aren't necessarily bad. We just need the analysis to say, should we be measuring David's behaviors, or should we just be measuring his results, right? We're going to give him more autonomy and say, I don't care how you get it done, just get it done. Mm. Then you see kind of like the Wells Fargo issue, what, right? We're like, oh, yeah. I just need to meet this metric. It doesn't matter how I get it done. And well, maybe so that is important. <laughs> right. You see cut corners, you see ethical issues. If you say, I just, I don't care how you get it done, just get it done. And so there's, you know, performance and or behavior-based performance and then results-based performance metrics. Another thing to take into account that we use a lot is that again, our brains are really quick and saying, well, David just doesn't care and he's being lazy or I don't know what's wrong or whatever. There, there are two kind of categories for performance decline that we see. Either it's a skill deficit or a performance deficit, right? Mm. If you give me a book of Greek and say, I will give you a million dollars if you can translate this, it doesn't, <laughs> I am very motivated, can't do it, right? Oh, I yeah. don't have the training, I don't have the skills. So that would be a skill deficit. 
a performance deficit would be giving me a book of simple addition, right? And as much as I hate math, I can do basic math fairly, but I can do it. <laughs> and I might say, no, I don't want to do that. And you say, well, I'll give you five bucks. And it's like, no, it's not worth it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Okay. So in that situation, it's a performance deficit. I, I can do it. I've demonstrated competence in the past. I'm just not doing it. And so what's really important for leaders to understand is that by knowing these things, you know, you don't want to train and train and train and train if it's a performance deficit and someone's going, I know, I know how to do this. I don't want to, like, it doesn't meet my purpose. You're not paying me enough to work 60 hours a week. You know, it's, it's a performance deficit. Also, if there's a skill deficit, you don't want to throw money at it and reward and reward and reward when the employees are going, yeah, I would have loved to do this seven reward systems ago, but I don't know how. how? And so mm. it gets to be very frustrating. It decreases morale. It's very expensive throwing really expensive spaghetti over the wall at some point. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. I think I remember reading something that you wrote too, talking about performance and and, and even rewarding. If I'm recalling the 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 article, you talk about like the annual performance review and how that's like kind of stupid to, to do that per, annually rather than doing it in the moment. Like, so maybe talk a little bit about that for a moment, because I thought that was really fascinating and and I think really relevant right now as well. Sure. I don't think that there's any reason to not have a, a big, you know, ceremonious check-in once a year. But if we're saying the point of the meeting is to let someone know about their performance so that they can improve upon it or just mm. maintain it, um, once a year isn't nearly enough, right? You know, it's right. like, thanks for pointing out all the things I've been doing wrong over the last 12 months, right? Yeah. Even if it's, hey, you've done everything right, but this is the thing that we see that you can improve upon. It's like, I would have loved to know that 11 months ago. Yeah. And so it also goes against all the research that we have. Um, a subset of behavior analysis is OBM, organizational behavior management. Mm. And so, um, you know, in OBM, when we talk about everything we do is based on research. Research shows us that the best way to provide feedback is daily and weekly in a combination. Mm. Okay. And so I'm sure everybody listening right now is like, I don't have time for that. Right. <laughs> Reorganize. Usually there's an issue between leaders and managers. The leaders are managing, the managers are leading. And there's a huge misunderstanding, I think, of those roles. If someone's role is to manage a team of 10, that person's primary role should be management, right? Those daily, weekly check-ins, that manager should have demonstrated excellent competence in whatever they're managing, but we don't do that, right? It's, hey, you're really good at your job. And so you can manage, but you can't manage people and you weren't, you know, there's no competence involved. And so when we say daily and weekly, what we're really doing is saying, instead of going over a giant performance review, we're just we're doing a task analysis is what we would call it, right? What are the, we're shaping. What are the, the small little pieces of your job in order of priority and necessity that you need to be able to do? You obviously came into a job with a, yeah. a skill set that we needed, um, but there's always room for improvement and you want to grow your employees so that they maximize benefit. And so taking the time to say, here's what, here's where you are, here's where you need to be going and piecing that out daily and weekly of into smaller steps. That's a lot easier for employees yeah. or anyone to digest, right? Can you, you know, you said you have kids. Yeah. Can you imagine like trying to teach them to like walk, potty train, <laughs> dress themselves, see that like all in the same right. like couple months, right? They're just like, I don't know. It's so right. much. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And then, you know, after a year, you know, they're four years old and you're like, well, you haven't nailed potty training. You haven't dressed yourself, you know, and it's all this stuff. And they're just like, okay, thanks. I didn't get the appropriate, you know, I've potty trained probably 300 kids and it takes 
time and focus and shaping. You can't just, I mean, some kids, you can just put them on a toilet and they go, but you know, a lot of us humans aren't like that. You can't just throw them into a situation and say like, you're a smart person, you'll figure it out and expect them to perform without guiding and shaping them along the way. Mm. Tell me a little bit about what is that shaping? Because I, I've heard that term used before in like behavior, human behavior. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about what it, like, what really is that? It's breaking a giant task up into smaller steps. Okay. Task analysis, right? If I were okay. to say, Hey, I need you to learn how to write the perfect report. Well, mm. Okay. I, I can't just say, well, let, like, I'm going to tell you in a year how your report's going. I've got to be able to sit down and say, what are the components to this? You've got to be able to do research. You've got to, you've got to have the technical capability. Do you, are you well-resourced enough to do the research? Do you know how to do literature searches and research? That's the data collection piece. And then you're writing, you know, a report. What are the components of the report? Are you a good writer? Are you more of an analytical person? Is this making sense? What are your communication skills like? Your written communication skills? You know, do you are you summarizing and coagulating information for a summary? Right. There are so many different pieces to that. How's your conclusion? And then if you've got to present it, that's a whole other piece, right? How do you right. show up in front of people? What's your presence? What's your cadence of speaking? And so when you take writing a report and presenting it, which is something we've all done. But if you want to make someone really amazing at it and someone who doesn't have all those skills, you can break it down. And so what we do is create a task analysis and write down in order of priority or or order what steps someone needs to know. And then we work on those things. So we shape it down to you've never written a report before or you have, but you're struggling. Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about your literature. Let's talk about your research skills. And we just kind of focus on that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to worry about all those other things because they can act as a distraction. And so we just really rebuild the ship piece by piece by piece. And some things go faster than others. I absolutely love doing this with employees because, and with leaders, because leadership, leadership is so not well-defined and we don't, it's very abstract. And so I help people be, build their own leadership model, their own leadership framework. And then we dial down to what that looks like. But when you do these, this breakdown, you identify blind spots that people didn't even know that they had. Right. So like, yeah. oh, can you do a literature search? Yeah, it sounds easy. Yeah, yeah, I can. But then you say, well, show me, you know, you know, let's let's go through this. I'm going to give you this literature research project. And they can't. Right. And so you can pick out those steps along the way to say, you're awesome at these eight things. And these two things need a lot of work. We're just going to focus on these two things. And you yeah. shape back up to this like giant result or product or behavior. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. It's th- thank you for sharing that because that that's really helpful. Something you just said, I got to like, my curiosity just totally peaked. Talk about your leadership framework or creating a leadership framework, because I think this is, I work with a lot of what I call emerging leaders. And I think that it's important for those leaders to have almost like a mission statement or a, a leadership statement that kind of guides them. And, and I'm curious if that's something similar or what, like what your definition of that, that leadership framework is. Yeah. First I do a values assessment. It's how you want to show up as a leader, you know, um, yeah. and that takes actually looking back. What were your leaders like? We mm. tend to just repeat, you know, as you have kids, I'm sure you've caught yourself going, Oh my gosh, my mom and my dad, yeah. that. you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, I, I thought I would never say that right. here I am parenting as I've been parented. You know, yep. <laughs> it's our learning history. So we tend to just kind of fall back on what we know yeah. for better or for worse. And right. so we kind of go back and I talk about what were your leaders like and what do you want to emulate? What did you admire? What was effective? And what are the things that you would, you know, you didn't care for and that were ineffective or that you could do without. Mm-hmm. So we pick that. And then I do a values assessment. What do you value? We pick three to five top values. 
which takes a while because we all do the should, right? Well, I should value this or I shouldn't value recognition because that's not socially acceptable. I should value family, even though I don't really spend time with them because I'm always at work, you know, and it's, so that's a big, that's digging through a lot. And so after we have the values and the kind of model of what that person wants to be like, we dial it down to how does that show up in a stressful situation? How does that show up in feedback? If you have an employee that's doing an amazing job and you want to be a leader who's highly reinforcing, right? Who's rewarding and reinforcing with, you know, social attention, you know, often, and you want to get really good at giving that, David, thank you so much. I can't even tell you how many hours in my day you've given back to me over the last month. And that's allowed me to care for my dog and plan for my move. And I just can't thank you enough, right? That is gold for someone who's been waiting for that for a long time. And so instead of saying, well, go be better at that, or, you know, well, just make sure to, to notice your employees. We really dive into what that looks like. And we go through all these situations and build what we call fluency. So intellectually, people know that verbal accolades and social attention is nice to hear, you know, everything I just said to you, but when we're frustrated, when we are caught up in our own lives, when we're managing a lot of different things at once, when the company is having issues, those things we become blind to. Mm. And so what you want to do is teach someone to live their leadership framework and their leadership model, not only based on what they want to emulate in their values, but the behaviors in the moment. In behavior analysis, we call it a discriminative stimulus, right? It's something that signals like a stop sign. You see a stop sign, you know exactly what to do and you don't have to think about it. So it's a signal that shows you, ah, this is what I'm supposed to do right now. So I teach leaders and I I work with a lot of meditation because it allows you to focus and change your brain a little bit. It's just required, I think, for a lot of this work. I teach leaders to say, instead of the stress, you know, something happens, this stressful situation, bring you down a rabbit hole, allow it to be a stimulus for you to go, oh, I feel myself getting to that point where I'm losing focus. I'm getting frustrated. I'm pissed at Mm -hmm. my employees, you know, whatever, and stop, right? That's the meditative piece of I'm going to stop and notice and change course and say, I know that when I get this feeling in my body or when Mm -hmm. this thing happens at home or when this thing happens with the company, I am likely to not do well with reinforcing and, and, you know, verbally rewarding my employees, So I'm going to create like a post-it note or set a timer on my phone every day just to remind me and to support me in this skill. And that's how we create new habits, right? And then so you start to notice when you get stressed, it's an opportunity for you to go, I I know what I do here. I don't (laughs) want to be here right now. I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a couple of breaths and I'm going to do that other thing instead. And that's Mm -hmm. how we change and build habits over time. That's so impactful because I think that so many leaders just go through their their workday and and not even notice. And so I love that you use the word notice because, I, and I know that comes from the meditation, being able to meditate and, and to be able to focus our attention. I mean, I think that's really important. And I think the more emotionally intelligent leaders are able to do that and at least have, have got that skill. Absolutely. And, you know, when we say emotional intelligence there, you know, I just finished a book and I looked up um, hard skills and soft skills and emotional intelligence because I don't really work with emotional intelligence or hard or soft skills. Right. I say, what are the behaviors that are going to adhere to your values and your leadership model and be effective right Mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. It's very different between the technology industry and the healthcare industry. The healthcare industry requires a lot more some pieces than the tech industry. If you're working with coders who are like, 
yeah, I'm good. I just want an extra five grand a year and just like, let me alone to go do my thing. Like you don't know how to do this. Your verbal accolades of you're doing a great job, like great, great coding doesn't have value to me because you don't know what you're talking about. And so that's inauthentic. And I just want you to go away and let me do my work. (laughs) A reward in that situation isn't a verbal accolade. It's I'm going to allow you to escape work more often, right? I'm going to give you more PTO or I'm going to allow you to escape me more often, right? You're doing a great job. I'm going to just check in. I'm going to get out of your face. And so yeah, when you look at emotional intelligence, it's overwhelming for a behavior analyst because you see empathy and like it's all the human, it's like being a human, right? right? Like there are the more research hard and soft skills. I started, I wrote about this in my book and I was like, so hard skills pretty much are just anything, like any technical skill and soft skills are just everything it takes to be a human, right? Yeah. Everything involved in being a human. And saying he's got great soft skills, it's like what? Or like he's got great emotional intelligence to me. It just means how present you are. We all have more skills in that area than we think we do. Our Mm. environments do not set us up to exercise those skills. Mm. If you slow me, if you give me all the money I need or a healthy salary, if you slow down my life, if you give me an amazing dog sitter to take care of my dogs and so like that's off my plate and you give this like nice office to do things in, like if you set up environmental conditions to bring me to a calm, peaceful, but alert state, and you come into my office, I am much more likely to be mindful and present and aware with you instead of if my life is, is chaos or the work environment is chaos. Cause then you walk in my office needing something and I'm your manager. And I'm like, what, what do you need? What do you need? (laughs) And you can read that, right? Like, I don't need anything. I'm sorry. And you like run away or you're in a state of stress and now nothing's going to get done because we don't operate well in those states. And so, yeah, with emotional intelligence and all like the buzzwords, I just really dial it down to how present are you? When we're present Mm. in that calm, peaceful, alert state, all of our skills in that area can shine, Mm. but they're the first thing to go in a state of stress. I'm thinking back in my own life and my own leadership journey. And man, that that is so true because when you have that time, you have that space, you have that margin and you're present, that gives you just access to so much more emotionally, cognitively, just all of that. You know, I've been meaning to ask you this because I know you've had a wide range of people that you've worked with. You know, you've worked with Navy SEALs, you've worked with corporate executives. You said, you know, you've worked with children and and I know it's, you know, you've worked with special needs children and throughout all of those different, I mean, first of all, that's a quite a range. I mean, you know, if you, by any stretch of imagination, you know, a special needs child to a Navy SEAL, I mean, there's like two ends of the spectrum there. What's been the most interesting or fascinating part of all of those different categories of people that you've worked with? How much we have in common. I love that answer. I love that answer so much. (laughs) It's, you know, when people say, wow, it's so different. Not really. You know, when I give examples of behavior, you know, from a child standpoint, people are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's infantilizing. It's like, I make the example simple because behavior is really complex. And so I don't mean to insult someone's intelligence or tell them like working with you is like working with a child. <laughs> yeah. Working with behavior is like working with behavior, right? Yeah. And, and so I can scream at my dogs and get them to do something and they'll do it. It works, but not nearly as much or not nearly as sustainably as if I can give them treats for doing things, right? Yeah. And I just feel like people, um, humans don't like to feel like they're being controlled. And I get that. I'd like, yeah. I like to be in control of everything at all times. I don't like anybody else to control me. And so, uh, but at the same time, 
we need to just be realistic about why we do what we do mm-hmm. and stop thinking like they just want attention or they're just yeah. lazy or this and that. There's so much more that we can see when we stop kind of regurgitating these false beliefs. And if we can just kind of sit with the person and their actions and understand, understand them and their history, whether it's a rescue dog from Mexico or a Navy SEAL who has done unthinkably amazing and challenging things, or a child with autism who's struggling to talk uh, and their parents who are struggling to watch their child struggle to talk. It's all the same. Hmm. You know, we're, we're all the same. We all want to be, as far as I can see in my almost 20 year career, we want two things. We want to be able to show up with a stranger, a friend, our family member as the most truest, most beautiful, most authentic version of ourselves. The version of ourselves that we go, I like this person. Yeah. In turn, we want that the world, that society, that dog, that human, that boss to receive us and love us and appreciate for us, appreciate us for it. It doesn't yeah. mean they have to like it. Right. It, it means we like to be respected and we want to feel connected and loved because mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen, as we all have, people do really crazy things for connection and love, for belonging, right? We see it with, yeah. you know, with kids on a playground, you know, a perfectly nice kid sees another person get attention because they slapped their kid across the face, right? Then they go do that. You get older and you're in your 20s and you start to learn, oh, well, when I'm dating and, you know, women like this or men like this um, or trans individuals like this and this person who I've gotten to know, they really like this. And so yeah. you learn how to get that attention and feed your needs. And we, our environments shape us, you know, we just went over shaping Yeah, our environments shape us all the time. You know, mm. I doubt anybody is the same at happy hour with their friends as they are at a wedding with their, you know, best friends as they are sitting in a meeting with their boss. We all change somewhat depending on our environments. And so our environment signal to us what's okay and what's acceptable. And the best thing that I love about this career is being able to now having learned and understood this is being able to help people show up as their best, not on a piece of paper, yeah. but as their best within themselves, because that's how you get true performance out of someone, right? Yeah. Me going, yeah, 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 how's your wife? Could, okay, great. Um, so anyway, you need to be able to do this. Like you're not <laughs> hearing me. I don't want to work hard for you. I don't like you. No matter how good you are at your job. I mean, even yeah. thinking about the people who are like really good at their jobs can be so much better. Like I've seen leaps and bounds when that connection and understanding and authenticity is there but we all run around with this sense of urgency. Um, we just got to get the work. Yeah. Just got to go through the sprint. And again, all those other soft skills, quote unquote, all those other human skills get brushed aside. And it just has always made me really sad. And so now that I can yeah. do something about that and yeah. influence the humanity and, and all of those um, with diversity of people and of thought yeah. being brought back into the workforce, it's just a really beautiful thing. I love that so much. And I, and I think that if, I, if I'm hearing you right too, one of the things that you're saying is in order for us to show up as our best version of ourselves and that fullest expansion of who we are, we really have to slow down. I mean, we really have to slow down. I mean, I think I, I hear that a lot more lately that there's this myth that we've all bought into or have been sold that, you know, if, if, if we're going to be the best business people in the world, then we've got to be going Mach 4 with our hair on fire all the time, 24-7. And man, that's just not true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the, um, there's a very masculine idea of success and it's very aggressive and very get to point A, from point A to B as fast as possible. 
And with some things where you just need to execute, that does make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But you've got to have both. You've got to have both those different sides of those traits of when do we execute and just put our heads down and go forward mm-hmm. and who's going to check in with people and pick their heads up and go, are you okay? How are yeah. you doing? Are you good? Okay. Who needs something, right? That's leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And then where there are times where it's like, do we need to be moving so fast right now? People are dropping off. People are getting sick. People are getting, uh, people are resigning. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, that is the stimulus moment yeah. instead of just, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. It's like, you can't drag. It's like tying your team to a truck and just taking off and like dragging them behind you. Yeah. It's never going to turn out good. And so when do we need to slow down? And that's mindfulness mm-hmm. that's mindfulness meditation to take you out of that crazy stress response that says, keep going as fast as you can and slow down and fight the anxiety. People have been telling me to slow down my entire life. And I, it's aversive to me. I hate that moment, but they're right. And when I do, it's magic. Um, I wouldn't be still, I wouldn't have changed my entire career to include meditation if it hadn't worked for me. And I'm not like, you know, the girl sitting on her meditation pillow at home, like calm, I'm, I'm a crazy Italian East coaster. And so I looked into the neuroscience of it. And I was like, this is exercise for your brain. This is changing your brain. Yeah. And I researched it for four years. And I just, I love every part of that mindful aspect of it. I'm laughing inside because I, I'm the, I, like, I am the same way. I, I like fast is my normal, you know, mode. And for probably the last couple of years, I've been learning, I haven't learned yet, but learning to slow down and the benefit of that and the benefit of meditation and, and just being able to like be present, it does make things a lot easier. And yet it's so tough and it's like really uncomfortable because for whatever reason, I'm telling myself a story that slow is not good. That's that definition of leadership, right? I mean, yeah. do you want to be the person that go, and maybe you've got a COO who is the calm, quiet centered, mindful one, and you make a great team. But, you know, my thing is always stopping and questioning it. How is this working for me? It feels right. really good for me to move quickly. It makes me feel like I'm accomplishing a lot. I'm ticking everything off my list, but at the end of the day, it actually doesn't really satisfy me that much. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, great. In the moments where I can slow down and really savor, whether it's a meeting with someone or whether it's just sitting here in a quiet moment on a podcast with my dogs in my well-being yeah. room, you know, that's what life, life is about. And it prepares someone to just do their best in all aspects of their lives. And, and yeah, I think we do have to reframe a lot of our stories. We've been selling ourselves stories that aren't true for a really long time. And we got those stories from people who were sold those stories. And we just kind of go along mindlessly, automatically thinking that, well, someone told me this, so it's true. And we can stop and challenge those beliefs and say, is this working for me? I think that's growth. I mean, that's the easiest way to grow for me. I love that. Yeah, I I so, so agree. And I know that you have written a book or you're writing a book. So talk a little bit about that because I want to make sure that anybody who's listening can get their hands on it when it comes out. Thank you. Yes. Um, I it's finished the manuscript. Hi, baby girl. Huh? Um, the manuscript will be finalized today, actually. Oh, nice. Um, be out, yeah, February or March um, of next year. Fantastic. And so it's essentially exactly what we were just talking about. What are the beliefs that I hold, or mm-hmm. what are the beliefs that I've been given, and where do they come from, and all of that? So there are t- I, this book is primarily it's marketed towards women, it's for women. But I've been talking about this book for two years as I've been writing it. And um, I've talked to plenty of men that are like, I feel that way too. I just wish it was okay to cry. And I say, well, why isn't it okay? And they just kind of stop like, 
I don't know why it's not okay. <laughs> and so I was like, cry, if you're going to like, let's right. do it. I cry all the time now, but I never used to. And so <laughs> it's really for anyone, but it, it's primarily for women. The 10 gendered beliefs that women are given, be soft, be silent, be small, mm. be sexy, but sweet. And so it, these 10 beliefs, you know, be dependent, be fixed. We're always trying to fix women. Oh. A lot of money telling women all the ways that they can be fixed. And so maybe some of those beliefs are true for that reader. And maybe they're not. It's a playbook to go through, a playbook and a guide for women to go through. The first section is these 10 beliefs. And I walk them through questions and exercises to ask themselves, is this true for me? Where did I get this from? Is this even mine? Do I believe this? Is it working for me? Mm -hmm. And then the second part is how to let all that go and replace it with something else that is true for you. Um, Mm -hmm. It's essentially just just writing the ship, right? After the pandemic, after the dumpster fire, um, the world has been in for far too long. It's just such a fantastic time for transition and to just challenge your own status quo. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, and it sounds like a great book for men and women, both to be able to understand and, and really be able to look at like you just said, those those beliefs that we've either you know bought into or we we the stories that we've told ourselves. I, I, I think that's great. I'm glad I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I think for too long we've avoided talking about behavior and being able to recognize the things that are going on inside of our heads and how we then show up to to do our work. And um, so I think this is really re- important work that you're doing, uh, Gianna. And and really grateful that you're sharing this. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have to laugh. I'm thinking about um, the person who convinced me to write this book um, was someone who I helped coach when I was at Stanford. And we're still friends this day, live in Australia. And um, I was coaching him and I said, he was being avoidant, right? So I'm thinking like my wheels are turning, what's the function of this behavior? And I said, it sounds like you're avoiding. Um, And he just that look, that aha moment of, I didn't even realize it. And I said, you know, sometimes you just got to run into the burning building and figure out why it's on fire. And he, I mean, that was three years ago and he still texts me all the time. I ran into the burning building today. And so, you know, we want to, as humans understand when we're avoiding, is Mm -hmm. this something that we're running away from because we need to be walking away from it or dropping it? Or is this something that we're afraid to challenge? I mean, I had no idea how harrowing and hard this book would be for me to write. And it's funny and sarcastic and upbeat (laughs) in a lot of ways, but I had to challenge my own, a lot of my own beliefs came up. And so you've got to be willing to run into your own burning building and say, you know, where did this fire start so I can put it out? And how do I want to continue? Mm. Uh, It's very scary. Doing work on ourselves is very, very (laughs) scary. You know, for people that are all about growth, you don't get to be better. You don't get to grow without the pain, you know, for a reason. So yeah, yeah, I, I hope it's impactful. And at the end of the day, I think even for people who don't read the book and are listening to the podcast, that message is stop and be honest with yourself and mm. ask those really hard questions and build your support system around you while you can do that work, whether it's as a spouse, a leader, a parent, if wherever and however you show up. Amazing. Gianna, thank you so much. You know, this has been such an important conversation and I, I really appreciate you coming uh, on the show today. Tell people how they can get in touch with you because I know there'll be leaders who, um, you know, want to get in touch with you probably want to get your book as well. And how do we get a hold of you or get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, my website is giannabiscontini.com, G-I-A-N-N-A-B-I-S-C-O-N-T-I-N-I.com, long Italian name. Or they can go to my other company's website, which is Workwell, W-3-R-K-W-E-L-L. 
and just fill out the contact information. And I get back to people pretty quickly. Awesome. I will put the, all of that in the show notes. And I just want to say, first and foremost, a quick shout out to my friend, Rich Cardona, who uh, graciously introduced me to you because uh, when I heard you on his show, I knew I had to have you on the show. And um, so many thanks to, to Rich and really many thanks to you, Gianna. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And yes, I echo your sentiments for Rich. We had so much fun. We were in this very room. Uh, great. Podcast. It was, he was the best. So I'm glad to, glad to know you through him. And I hope this is useful for your listeners. And thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thanks again. Well, there were so many great uh, takeaways, I think, from this conversation that I, I, I know that you, you, if you were like me, you're probably taking notes. Uh, I, I was just looking back over my notes from that conversation, and I, I thought there were so many great um, takeaways for leaders to really understand human behavior, and not only just understand human behavior, but then also to to, to utilize it and to, to to shape it to be able to help people to have better performance uh, you know she talked about um, knowing the difference between skill deficits or performance deficits and and how often we think about performance just once a year but that it really needs to be evaluated on a much more frequently frequent basis and and then using behavior shaping, to break down some huge task into the smaller steps. And the other thing that I think I took away, especially for uh, if you're an emerging leader you've, you, and you're part of the emerging leader inner circle, you've heard me talk about um, creating a leadership statement. And, and, and being able to create that leadership statement then gives you the ability to live into those behaviors in the moment when you may be stressed, you may feel uh, anxiety, whatever uh, it is, but it, it helps you to live those leadership behaviors um, in the moment when you need it the most. And, and, and I also loved Gianna's answer to my question about what has been most fascinating in her work. Um, from uh, working with Navy SEALs to special needs children. And you know the, the answer that she gave, just the fact that, and it was so simple, how much we're alike. And, and, and I honestly love that so much. It, there, it was funny because even when she answered it, I could feel how much I really resonated with that in, our, in my body. And, and, and I, it, it, it's kind of weird, but it was a sensory experience because I, I think that that is what we need more than anything today in our business world and just understanding how much we're all alike. We're humans and we have behavior that we exhibit that, that comes from those, those four areas or those four categories of, of, of behavior that she talked about. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And the one thing that Gianna said uh, late in the, the conversation was, you know, just making sure that you stop and you ask yourself some questions and make sure that you have your own support system around you. And, and quite frankly, that's what the inner circle is, is all about. If you are looking for uh, a group of leaders who 
are very growth-minded and supportive of each other in a masterminding type of environment. I just want to encourage you to make sure that you're at the Inner Circle Summit uh, in December. Uh, We are going to have a virtual option, but there's going to be so much value to being in the room. Now, make sure that you are subscribed and tuned in next week. I have a great conversation with uh, someone who is uh, the former Miss Singapore. Uh, we had a great conversation, and I want you to tune in to that. It's, it's a really cool uh, conversation with Janisha Alora. So thanks so much for listening in today, and please uh, go out and rate and review the podcast. I, I say this every every episode because it really does help, and it really does matter. And I'd love to hear any uh, feedback from you. If, if you know somebody that needs to be on this podcast, make sure that you reach out to me and, and, uh, let me know. Uh, but until next time, remain in that growth space and be well. Mm-hmm.